welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio. I really, really appreciate all the wonderful emails and comments we've been getting from all of you guys. Those of you who embrace Listing Palooza over the past weekend. And if you haven't, it's not too late for you. There's still tons and tons of opportunity for you to go after those expireds. Listen to the radio show we did on Friday with the exact how-to step-by-step of what you need to be doing. Remember, the most expireds always come up on the last day of the month and the first day of the following month. Never, never forget that. If you're falling behind within how many listings you want to be taking, that's how you catch up. So one of the continued wonderful uh, challenges that a lot of you guys are having is you're having too much success. Yes, that's happening, and it's so exciting. Um, I would say at least 30 to 40% of you are exceeding your original goal um, as far as what you are planning on earning this year by a fairly significant margin, and here it is, first quarter's not over yet. And you want to know specifically how you can continue the momentum. And we have always talked about the scheduling and doing what, matter, what matters most first every day. And we've talked, obviously, a lot about you know, the, the spokes on your wheel, all those things. So if, not, if you're not familiar with all of our different, I think, core fundamental beliefs, you can obviously listen to previous radio shows. But today we're going to talk about something that is, I think, confusing. And it's confusing because agents don't really understand how to build a business. None of us really are born into this world knowing how to build a business. We have to learn. And unfortunately, some of us learn along the way and make lots of mistakes. Now, first in your notes for today, write this down. Uh, A smart man learns from his mistakes, but a brilliant man learns from the mistakes of others. Be the brilliant man. Don't be the guy who's like most other folks out there who's kind of stumbling along who's uh, you know, not necessarily trying to learn from the mistakes of others and the success of others, thinking that you can just figure it all out. Eventually you can, I don't doubt it, but why would you bother if you can just essentially uh, follow in the path of folks who have successfully gone before you? And what are we talking about today? We're talking about building a team. Building a team in real estate is something, a little history on it, and then Julie and I have five rules for you. So building a team in real estate is something that really started um, flourishing, the concept of the team back in the 80s. Uh, some of you who are new in the business or newish in the business in this industry think that teams are a new concept. They're not. They've been around forever. Howard Britton was arguably the person that I think allowed the team concept to flourish more than anybody else. And if you guys don't know who Howard Britton was, you can go on to YouTube and watch some of his own videos. He was certainly a mentor of ours. So um, the team concept was originally conceived not as a mechanism to make more money, net profit, but as a mechanism to uh, give the rainmaker, as it were, more time uh, where they could have, you know, essentially less time in the office. Uh, that's really important you understand that. Well, that's the core essence of where a lot of the confusion is, where agents believe that more transactions equal more profit. So think about that for a second. That's, that's really the second uh, thought for you, is that more transactions rarely equals more profit. More transactions equals more revenue, but more transactions very, very rarely uh, results in more actual net profit for the person that's taking all the risk, you know, the rainmaker as it's become known, the team leader, whatever it is. So 
set aside your maybe your your beliefs about what a team is and it isn't, and then listen to Julie and I today as we go through. How many points is it, Julie? Seven, I think. I think we have one, two, three, four, five, six. Six points. Okay, and we'll probably think of a seventh one along the way. And we yes, some of you are at the point in your businesses where, for you to, uh, frankly, for you to take your business to the next level, for you to uh, get all the opportunity that this recovering real estate boom has for you, you're going to have to add staff. There's no doubt about it. And some of you who are taking listings at such a volume for the first time in your careers, you're experiencing now this wonderful thing called growing pains. For that, we congratulate you. <laughs> you know, for that, we're excited for you legitimately. So now the question is, is how do you build a team? Who do you add first? And so let's go through these points, six points, probably a seventh coming your way, a bonus point, if you will. Take notes, think about these concepts, and understand that what we're about to share with you isn't the normal, normal dogma. This is what we have learned from our own real estate practice, but also from coaching a lot of the top producing agents around the country. It's interesting that the mindset about teams shifted as a result of the real estate crash. A lot of these agents that had these big staff and these big fixed costs, they found themselves, frankly, on their backs financially. So learn, again, from the mistakes of others, opposed to having to make your own mistakes, and keep all these concepts in mind. The whole point of you owning your own business is to make net profit. More transactions doesn't equal net profit. Julie, the first point. Okay, so the first point, as always, a mindset point to get you off from the right foot. Don't abdicate, delegate. So, Tim, what does that mean? Don't don't abdicate. I mean, you have a lot of people say, do it, digit or delegate it. You should be able to delegate everything to your team and just walk away. So don't abdicate, delegate. Can you clarify that for them? Well, so how many books have been written, mostly in the 90s, about micromanaging? Micromanaging bosses are bad. Micromanaging managers are bad. Never micromanage, blah, blah, blah. Okay, the real reality is, is anyone who's successful is a chronic micromanager. You must be a micromanager if you're going to be successful long-term. Otherwise, too many things will get by you. And the number one thing to go when you're not a micromanager is your profit. So you will have a staff, you'll have a team, whatever you want to call it, but because you believe that micromanaging is bad, there's going to be all kinds of things that get by. You're not going to be tracking. You're not going to be holding people accountable. You're going to have people that are hiding, not wanting you to in, that work for you, that not, not wanting you to know that they're actually not even working all that hard. All these different types of things happen when you're not a micromanager. Now, do I want you to do it personally? I want you to oversee the systems that do it for you. So there's systems that we teach you when you're building your staff, that building your team, that will, in essence, hold the folks that work for you to a certain minimum level of standards uh, every single month. And you have to be monitoring. We call it your dashboard. We, you have to be monitoring all these folks on a constant, ongoing basis. Literally every single day, there are certain metrics that every single one of your team members, and it could be your runner, it could be your transaction coordinator, it could be your buyer specialist, it doesn't matter. But all these people have to hit a certain minimum standard every single day or they do not stay part of your team. So that's the first concept. Don't advocate, uh, I'm sorry, don't abdicate, which means give up the throne, give up the power. You can delegate, but never stop being a micromanager. Um, and then you, know, you have to know what is delegatable. But even when it's delegated, there has to be accountability for what's being uh, um, delegated. So a Ronald Reagan quote for all of you, trust but verify. That, that's something I love. Trust but verify. Quote. So you can hire, right, isn't it? 
So you can hire folks that you trust, uh, that you like, maybe family members that you love, people that you respect, all that's great. But you've got to verify it was done. Ronald Reagan quote, it's a great one. Julie, what's the next point? Yeah, well, and let's just stop there just for a, a second on this micro point, which is actually a really big point. Know what to not delegate. Some of you guys think that you can just delegate your listing appointments. Well, guess what? That's the highest and best use of your time. It takes the most skill, hardest to delegate. Don't delegate the management of your money. You can have an accountant, a bookkeeper, etc. Tax accountant's a good idea. But don't delegate the writing of your checks. That's just stupid. So know what not to delegate. Don't try and just off the bat delegate your lead follow-up. Oh, I'm going to hire a virtual assistant to do all my lead follow-up. Really? Some of you guys have tried that. How has that worked out for you? One of the highest and best uses of your time? Follow up on your leads and create appointments. Okay, But when you do, and you can build a lot of this systematically, always hold accountable to Tim's point. So when is it time to add staff? I mean, Tim, After how do you, you know? Complete- uh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, there's not one set answer for everyone, right? So the usual right. answer that we give to virtually everyone um, is after you've done, it's a high threshold, after you've done five transactions a month, ideally listings, for three months in a row. Okay? It's a thre- high threshold. But if you're you in a marketplace... You 90 days of consistency, not just, not just a busy month where you feel overwhelmed, but 90 days of consistency. A busy month where you feel overwhelmed, you can bring somebody in temporarily or you can have an agent help you or the office manager or whatever. But what you need to do is you need to prove to yourself that you can consistently generate revenue because guess what? That person that you hire is going to want money consistently. So if you, you know, like Julie said, you have to show yourself if that, so what does that mean? Some of you who are really good at earning money for a quarter or a half a year, but you're really bad at earning it for the other two quarters. Uh, for whatever reason, that's just how your your business cycle works. Or maybe mentally and emotionally, and I have coaching clients like this, that you only want to work for the first half of the year because the second half of the year, you're not really working. You're traveling, you're writing your book, you're doing whatever, right? You know, it depends. This, the nice thing about this industry is you can make the business around your lifestyle, pose your lifestyle around the business. Um, you don't need a full-time assistant because you're just going to have somebody that's going to work for you intensely for maybe four months and then there's going to be no work. For you, maybe a virtual assistant makes better sense or having a, an agent partner in your office, however you're going to do it. But be very, very careful that you do not add staff, do not add any fixed cost until you've been very consistent with generating revenue. Now, if you're in one of our you know, upper-end agents and selling multi-million-dollar homes, and you have to, in order to hit all your financial goals, you have to sell 10 houses a year. And the coaching call I had um, prior to today's radio show, actually an hour ago, was with a guy who's going on a listing um, appointment this evening for ten and a half million. And I had one earlier where the person was going on a listing appointment in New York City for almost twenty million. Well, guess what? In those particular markets, you can have an assistant, but if you're only doing one deal per month, because you can afford it, right? But you have to still hit the threshold of having done um, at least, depending on your price range, consistent business every single month. And it's worth pointing out, and this is also very important, the number one listing agent in Manhattan, you guys can check me on this, does not have a team. Does not have a team. The number one listing agent, uh, maybe in the world, uh, but with Century 21 out in California, she does not have a team. I interviewed her. You guys can listen to her. She's one of our superstars. Listen to the radio show. I asked that question specifically, you know, and she said, I don't have a team. It's me and I have some specific assistants. The mindset shift goes back to what Julie said. There's certain things that you never delegate. And Julie, what are those five things again? 
Well, the things that you never delegate are the very things that drive your business. In other words, if you were to delegate them and they got screwed up, you would have trouble. So those things are generating the leads in the first place, which are prospecting or marketing or both, following up on those leads urgently using great scripts and relentlessly setting appointments, pre-qualifying so you know you're in front of the right people, presenting, listing presentations especially, negotiating, and closing. Now, there's bits and pieces in there, you know, light negotiations. A transaction coordinator can handle light inspection negotiations. But doing your deals and getting them to stick and going back and forth with other agents and negotiating with your sellers sometimes, okay, you guys know what I mean. There are things that only you can and should negotiate. You just have to live with that, accept it, and realize that's why you get paid what you get paid. Anything that's not on that list should be delegated. So the question also is, when do you add staff and what types of staff you should add? Who should be first? We're going to talk about that's our next point. But it's also important, a lot of you guys are coaching students and you're familiar with the concept of your spokes on the wheel. You should have two or three spokes that are consistently generating business. Again, it's going to be some of the core level things we teach you when you become one of our coaching clients before you add staff. The, con the overall concept, and you guys are hearing this consistently from us, is we want you to always make sure you're leading with revenue. Always make sure you're focused on what your actual profit is. It is very, very easy to get seduced by, you know, you go to some big real estate event, you know, there's five agents being interviewed on the stage, and one sold 500 houses, the other sold 600 houses, the other sold six bazillion houses, right? And you're sitting there, oh my God, that's so incredible, how do they do it? And they always say the same thing, right? They buy leads, they do big teams, they have an army of buyer specialists, they do this, they do that, the other thing. Nobody ever really drills down on what their net profit is, but I'll tell you what it is, because this is something we've you know, studied. Agents, here's the interesting concept, this is very controversial what I'm about to tell you, this always raises red flags in certain agents' minds who don't, have never actually taken the time to do the math. Um, an agent who makes a million dollars a year in commission, and they have a team, they have a staff, and they're in most of, you know, in an average sale price area where the average sale price is $200,000, for the most part, that agent is only uh, paying themselves before taxes right around two hundred grand. So I want you to think about that before you decide to take on a team. Now, again, some of you are having so much business coming your way, you need to start adding staff. But those of you who think you have to build a team in order to make a huge profit, it's just not true. So that's the interesting split. And what we're seeing, again, by studying the market, is that the top producing agents in the market do not have big teams. Generally speaking, do not, and by top producing big eight name agents in the market, I'm not just talking about the ones that are doing huge volumes. I'm talking about the ones that have huge profit margins, the ones that are pulling out 30, 40, and 50% profit margins. Generally speaking, they have small, efficient teams, and they do not buy leads. They do not take on a bunch of unrealistic fixed costs. And every decision that they make is, is put through the filter of, will this produce a net profit for me? So just keep all these things in mind. So the next point we wrote down is who to add first. Hypothetically, when you're building your staff, the first person you should add, again, this is a conversation that we can have on an individual basis when you guys request a free coaching call at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Some of you are going to be better off adding a buyer's agent first. 
Others of you will be better off adding a transaction coordinator first. The conventional wisdom is you add a transaction coordinator first, and the reason that is not a fit for all of you is because the transactional coordinator will give you a fixed, uh, an added fixed overhead cost that you'll have every month. For the most part, in the country, you're going to have to pay that transaction coordinator $3,500 to $4,500 a month. So you hire someone full-time to work for you, you're thinking all your problems are solved, but remember, you've got to pay that person. So in some cases, it actually makes sense to bring a buyer's agent in first to work for you, to chase your buyer leads for you, and in doing so, that buyer's agent will start to create hypothetical, you know, we're hoping here, revenue, profit, that you then can afford to pay for the, the transaction coordinator. But up to that point, you don't add to your fixed costs. Again, counterintuitive. I realize that a lot of you think, well, the first person you hire is a TC, but that means you're immediately adding to your fixed costs. I challenge you on that um, to reconsider that and think about never adding um, any, reduce as many fixed costs as you can. That way, if there's a hiccup in the market, that way, if your you know, micro market basically has a setback, or maybe if housing goes into a full-blown recession again, which is there zero chance that's going to happen, but you're not stuck with all these ridiculous fixed costs. Next point, Julie, this one's a great one for you. How do they know what to pay? Well, there is an interesting thing that happens when you pay a little bit more than your market averages. So you should know what is the going rate for a transaction coordinator. What are other buyer agent deals out there? When you pay a little bit more, maybe even more than a little bit more, you do tend to get better talent. So that does actually follow through. You know, you don't have to pay double what everybody else is paying, but you need to be what enough more that it makes a difference. So it is worth doing that. However, a lower wage, a higher commission, right? So it depends on who we're talking about here, right? So a lot of buyer agents, it depends on whether they generated the lead or their team leader generated the lead, what their split ultimately is. Now, on a transaction coordinator, if you're going to have a monthly wage, that should be low with the pay happening when you get paid, right? So a transaction coordinator has a fee that they get paid at closing. So low wage, high commission, and be willing to pay a little bit more than your competition, which means you have to know, you know, what a transaction coordinator gets paid in Manhattan is going to be different than what they get paid if they're in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, for example. Makes so what Julie's saying is basically you pay, like if it's a salesperson, right, a realtor that you're hiring to be your buyer's agent. In those particular cases, you want to pay them Every agent will come in thinking, well, I deserve 50-50. You know, they'll have that mindset, or I want a 75% split. Well, if you're generating, and the way we worked it when we had, because we had seven buyer's agents that worked for us. Now, this was forever ago, but the formula hasn't really changed. And so if there was a dollar earned, and we had generated the business, uh, what had happened is off the top of every transaction, there was a flat fee that was charged that amounted to about $1,000. And that went into covering the fixed costs of the business, Right. And then in addition to that, if uh, the business provided the lead to the agent, there was a 20 to 25% referral fee, right? These are bear, buyer's agents working for us. Off the top, there's a fixed cost. After that, there was a referral fee that was charged. We didn't call it a referral fee. We called it a lead generation fee that we charged because it came from uh, the marketing that we'd done as a business that obviously uh, it was a, a cost for the most part. Or maybe it was just a sign call. It doesn't matter. We were trying to encourage them to do their own lead generation, which, by the way, for the most part, none of them really wanted to do. They were more than willing to pay the fee. And then the commission split. So right off the top, for most transactions, 
between what they were paying, uh, you know, the, essentially the per transaction fee and the referral fee, then we were looking at probably most of them making about 40 to 45 uh, percent of whatever the gross commission amount was. But they didn't have to do anything. You know, we were generating lead for them. We were uh, processing the transaction while it was in contract. Uh, we had folks that went to the closings, and that's the way most teams work. But depending on your market, it actually might make better sense for you to take that se- those same buyer leads and literally refer them off to other agents that you know are great producers. As you're building your team, that's actually something we always suggest. Find the agents in your marketplace that are really great at working buyers and work a referral, a referral fee deal out from them. Oh, but Tim, I'll lose the relationship with that buyer. The way you work it, is you give them that buyer lead, and then exchange, uh, once that buyer's in contract, you close it with your TC. So the relationship started because they called as a result of your website, let's say. And then they came into your system, and then they found themselves being referred to another agent. No problem, the other agent did a great job. Well, that client then comes back, and then you close it inside your business, inside your team, uh, under your TC. So the relationship began with you and it ended with you, you as a business owner, you see. And that's the, the buyer's impression long term will be, you know, Tim and Julie Harris are my realtor and they don't necessarily remember the realtor that was in the middle. Your TC goes to the closing, your TC con- uh, calls them after the closing and congratulates them. All those types of relationship bonding things are still in place. Get it? That's how you guys can kind of have your cake and eat it too. Referring out the buyer leads, I think, is something that can be very profitable for some of you. Jules, what's the next yeah, point? Well, okay, so let's stop on that just for a second because we often hear, as especially people new to doing this type of work with their teams, well, gosh, I'd never work for that cheap. I hear that a lot. Are you sure I can really find somebody that will take that deal? Well, so look at it this way. I always tell my team leaders, think about the life of the buyer's agent. What are their costs? They got their cell phone and their laptop and gas for their car. That's basically it. There's no lead generation costs. There's no overhead. There's not the types of things that you guys are dealing with. And when they are working with a buyer client, what are they doing? They're setting up showings, hopefully in a decent order, you know, showing appropriate houses. They have to be good, if not great, at writing contracts, which we can help them with, you can help them with. And then it's lather, rinse, repeat. They goes to the transaction coordinator. So really, somebody's making 35 to 50% on a deal that they only did maybe 15 or 20% of the actual transaction. When you look at it that way, which is reality, it's a really sweet deal for buyer agents. We always used to say, if you have to have your name on the sign and you're really attached to being a listing agent, you're not the right buyer agent for the team. But keep in mind, they have no expenses. All they have to do is put people in contract, lather, rinse, repeat. For the sake of time, the other thing to remember is some of you guys want to add staff and you don't want to take the time to learn how to train them to do their jobs. We do have uh, coaching staff in place that will train your buyer's agents. We have coaching staff in place that will train your transaction coordinators. We have coaching staff in place that will train your um, leads coordinators, train your listing specialists, all that stuff. We have everyone in place that will help you train your buyer's agents and your rest of your staff so you don't have to do it so you can focus on those five core activities. Um, which leads to the next point, how to pay for your staff. Now, this is an interesting concept, too. Uh, before we talked about basically a transaction coordinator being a hypothetical fixed cost and how that, for many of you, is something you want to be very, very careful before you obligate yourself to. So an idea would be um, you tra- have that transaction coordinator pay for themselves by doing BPOs or by doing other work that you would have otherwise had to pay somebody else to do. 
BPOs is frankly the cleanest way to do it. In every market, no matter how what, what direction your market is going, even if it's the hottest market in the country, I promise you there's BPOs that are being ordered every day. So make it so that everybody on your staff, it's a concept. I realize that not all of you guys will embrace it, but the idea here is that you don't have any uh, riders in your boat, only rowers. In other words, you want to have as few people uh, work for you, ideally none, that are not revenue generators. And the minimum number of, like, for example, if you pay someone $3,000 a month, they should be generating $3,000 a month for you in actual, honest-to-God revenue. Maybe they're doing lead, uh, I'm sorry, they're, they're helping you with the lead follow-up. Maybe they're doing something that's absolutely tangible that you can see a direct correlation between their effort and uh, revenue generation. That makes it so, again, everybody's rowing, nobody's riding. And the last point that we wrote down for all of you guys today is maintain margins. And this is the most important thing. Every time you do a transaction, you've got to pay yourself first. A lot of you have made the mistake, and I understand why. It's because, frankly, the information out there is talk. You guys are... You won't have any profit unless you pay yourself first. That's the bottom line. So literally off the top of every single check, and Julie and I were actually, we, we sort of read this and we heard this and all this, but it's back when we were selling real estate, uh, you know, we came across somebody who was an actual honest God billionaire. I've, some of you guys are familiar with this story, but it's true. At a Howard Brenton event, by the way. And, you know, I befriended him for a short while, and he became somewhat of a mentor of mine. And I learned that he had started as an Indiana farm boy, and he never had any, you know, anything money-wise. But he actually accumulated enough wealth from his various investments. And, by the way, uh, his wife was a top-producing agent that he was he became a billionaire. He owned all kinds of crazy things. He owned uh, gas and oil fields in Canada. He owned this huge walnut grove. I mean, remember when walnut was a real popular thing that everyone was using walnut veneer and furniture? So he had assets and investments all over the place. And I asked him, I said, how did you do it? How did you start out from nothing and became a billionaire? And he said, because off the top of every check, Marianne Duvall, and you, some of you guys from Howard Britton will remember her, so he said, me and Marianne, off the top of every single check, would save 10%. And then we'd, uh, you know, we basically paid off all of our own personal debt. It's very Dave Ramsey-esque, in essence, what his advice is. Some of you guys are familiar with Dave Ramsey. He followed basically the same pattern that Dave Ramsey is suggesting in his books. And, and he told us this you know, years and years before Dave Ramsey um, wrote his first book. It's conventional, normal uh, wisdom. So, you know, he essentially said uh, 10%, it took 10% off the top of every transaction, paid off his own personal debt, built up a war chest, started making outside investments. Some of them obviously paid off big time. He has accumulated a tremendous amount of wealth. The moral of the story is so many of us believe that we save with what's left over. How many of you right now listening? Oh I used to be, Julie and I were, we're guilty. We, right, but we are guilty of that for a long time, right, Julie? I yeah, mean, well, I'll just say I'll just save the next check, or I'll just save the next time I do both sides of a deal. I'll just save the next time I've got an extra transaction that month. I know because we used to think that way too, and yep. we've known a lot of agents, and we've coached a lot of top producers. And you know, I believe that we personally never really saved when we were selling real estate full time until we started doing the ten percent drill, which was as a result of that relationship. And then it's amazing. You guys have to look at that. If you were to just start today with your next check and save 10% for your savings and another 20%, maybe even 15% towards taxes, because that's the other thing that kicks your guys' butts, is not maintaining that percentage off the top of every check for taxes. So you do have to maintain margins, and you've got to be highly disciplined about that. That means even on the months where you know that that next check should be going to paying for your overhead, 
the reason that that's that way is because you think that way. If you stop thinking about 100% of your check being 100% yours <laughs> and 10% of it is in mandatory savings and 15% is mandatory taxes and you only have the rest to work with, that's a financial mindset that will get you to the next level. And I don't, Tim, honestly, I you wreck your brain for your coaching clients as well, but I really, I, I don't know anybody that saves significantly using the mindset of, well, it'll just be the next big check. Well, nobody does. I mean, happens. nobody does. It's impossible because there's never any left over. Because sure enough, there's always going to be the ad you want to buy. They're always the you know dude trying to sell you the buyer leads. Or they're always going to be the whatever. You know, you got to literally pay yourself first, or you will never accumulate anything. The idea that you're going to have some big closing that's going to solve all your financial problems—it's just nuts. And all of you guys know that by now. Who you know? To Julie's point, there's nobody. Yes, you can buy a winning lottery ticket. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> right? If that's your retirement plan, good luck with that. For the rest of us, the sane members listening right now of our uh, coaching organization, and those of you who are going to hopefully consider becoming coaching clients, you need to save 10% off the top, right? Build up six months worth of savings. Then you need to pay off all of your debts. Savings first, that way you have that financial cushion, because that way if you do hit a rock in the road, you won't have to add more debt because you won't be charging your overhead on credit cards. Cash savings first, pay off credit cards next, uh, then pay off your house, become literally com completely debt-free. A lot of our long-term coaching clients are there. It's an incredible feeling, something that maybe people in their lifetimes thought they would never achieve until their retirement ages, if ever. Next step is then you start investing. But the key is you never stop saving, and you've got to save first. Some of you, again, Julie mentioned it, have closings happening this month. 10% off the top, force yourself to do it. 20% then when you get your stuff paid off, 30%, 50%, you get the point, then you'll start having passive investments, save that money. That's how you become a millionaire, guys. That's how you do it. Those of you who think that selling real estate will make you rich, you are 100% wrong. It's what you do with the profits, assuming you have any, from selling real estate that will make you rich. So keep that in mind. Now, if there's anything we can be doing for you, it is our absolute pleasure and honor to help you in any way we can please request a free coaching call at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. A lot of you are ready to start building your teams. That's exciting. We're here for you. Request a free coaching call at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. We have coaches on staff who have long, long uh, careers of selling hundreds if not thousands of houses who have built teams themselves, who have built brokerages themselves. We have coaches who are sole practitioners who have uh, learned to sell lots and lots of houses with just you know, one or two assistants. We have every kind of coach in every kind of market and every kind of price range that you could possibly need. A minimum standard for all of our coaches, they have to be proven top producers. That's one of the things that makes our organization unique. We're not just hiring people off the street that can read a script. These are real agents who have been there, done that, just like hopefully you have and you are. Anything we can do for you, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Julie, anything you'd like to say to these guys before we sign off? Nope. Get to get into action. Implement. Don't just say, hey, that was a fun radio show. Do something about it. That's the most important thing. That is the bottom line. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com.
Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.